0: Welcome to On The Grid, a podcast dedicated to the Valley of the Sun. This podcast is a place where you can come to meet the creators and newsbreakers taking this metropolis to the next level, a place where you can learn about what's really happening in Phoenix. My name is Philip Haldeman, and I will be your host. This installment of On The Grid has kind of turned out to be a bit of a cult episode, I guess you could say. Today we have a man on the show who has been contributing culture to the Valley for about a decade now. In 2005, Victor Moreno came to ASU to study law. Before starting at ASU, he had only spent one day in the Valley. He did get his law degree, but he doesn't practice. Instead, he has devoted his time in the local film scene and created Cult Classics. It's a monthly film event which started out in a small venue called The Royale in Mesa, which is now defunct. But today that event has grown in popularity and plays to consistently sold out crowds. And look out, his new event called Jump Cut is getting some serious notices. And later on the show, we'll take a look at the Phoenix overnight sensation Oakley Dokely. They're a local heavy metal band that got global notice by being, quote, not as fast as Bartcore and a little cleaner than Krusty Punk. We'll talk to the lead singer of the Ned Flanders themed band as he looks back on going viral in the age of The Simpsons. But first, the stale news. For every episode of On the Grid, we take a brief moment to fill you on on what's been happening in the Valley. This installment is called The Stale News. It's called that because every time you listen to it, the following news will be old pretty quickly. But for posterity, and to serve as a signpost along the highway of our lives, here is the news for the week of May 23rd. Arizona teachers are getting a raise. Proposition 123 went down to the wire last week, passing by 1.6%, or about 17,000 votes. The proposition will tap the state land trust to fund more than half of $3.5 billion in new school funding over 10 years. Three police officers have been in shootings in the last two weeks. A Maricopa County Sheriff's Office deputy was shot multiple times by a drive-by gunman during a Tempe DUI traffic stop on May 7th. Also, a Phoenix police officer was shot and killed on May 18th. And most recently, a suspect was arrested for shooting a sheriff's deputy at their West Valley substation, May 20th. Sheriff Joe Arpaio said there is a war against cops and quote, if they want a war, they're going to have a war, he said. And speaking of Sheriff Joe, he just announced that he's running for his seventh term for the office. And on a lighter note, the Phoenix Comic Con is June 2nd through June 5th. And actually, that's a nice segue into our first guest. Victor Moreno will actually have a booth at the Phoenix Convention Center then. And he's here to chat with us now. Victor Moreno, welcome to the show.
1: I'm very happy to be here.
0: So you, you have your hands on a lot of different things here. I mean, specifically, you've got film stuff. Um, there's a lot of art, a lot of things that you're working on and have worked on in the past. And you've contributed a lot to the culture in Phoenix. So I, I, I think the best way to start this is to kind of just get in a timeline
1: well, I think when I first moved to Phoenix, I really didn't know what to think of it. Specifically, I moved out here to come to law school. I went to ASU, the Sandra Day O'Connor College of Law, and I moved to Phoenix the day I started school here. Oh. I like I spent as much time, because like, I'm originally from Los Angeles, and I wasn't totally... You know, I felt like I had to, like, you know, move forward in, like, my educational and kind of career goals and going to graduate school was that kind of key, but, like, I wasn't really ready to leave L.A. And, like, literally, I had moved here the day before I started graduate school. So I really didn't know that much about Phoenix. I'd only ever been here one day before ever. I sort of just randomly picked this place.
0: Wow. So you came, uh, you had only been in Phoenix one one day, basically, prior to get, coming to get your law degree. Yeah in your first year or so, what sort of things did you start getting involved with that kind of led you to where you are right now? Well,
1: when I first moved out here, I, I lived out like on the west side, like 83rd Avenue and Pinnacle Peak, like Party. really far out. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, all the people I hung out with basically were like, you know, people who did tattoos for a living and drove lifted trucks. So it's kind of, kind of hard to find, you know, some culture there. I lived out here like three months before I found out that, uh, Harkins Arrowhead was like three miles away <laughs> from where I lived, you know? So it was kind of difficult. And, uh, you know, at that point I was really focused on kind of like school, but I, I missed like kind of the cultural life of where I came from. I was really involved in yeah, kind of local culture shock. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm moving out here originally. I think one of my first thoughts was like, Oh, Phoenix is like going 10 years back in the past in LA. You know, like I, I went to like, uh, Safeway store and some guy keeps like how can I help you today and it freaked me out like someone wants to help me in a grocery store what you know (laughs) but you know as as time went on I would find like little like scraps of things like a flyer here for some kind of movie I like to check out but I couldn't because there was some sort of conflict and like I'd save these things and you know random new times ad for like a movie like oh the toxic Avengers playing in Chandler where the hell is Chandler And as time went on, I would kind of try to seek out these people who were doing these things, like, you know, please save me. I want to, you know, be involved in something like this because, you know, I miss it. And, like, I need that kind of, like, vein of something weird to keep my life interesting, you know. And that's sort of like, you know, I met, uh, you know, Andrea Beasley at the time.
0: And um, Andrea basically runs the programming for Film Bar. Yes. And she's been a huge cult film purveyor here in the valley for a number of years now and you so how did you meet her
1: um I went to a screening she did of uh Lucio Focci's zombie that was paired with like a like a bad cheerleader movie like a cheerleader porn movie from the 70s and it was like a weird juxtaposition it's like I gotta check this out and I go there and it's like where was it which it was at at the I think it was the Chandler cinemas at the time
0: okay yeah I don't
1: think that's even around anymore they like demolished it or something but um you know, I was like, wow, I'm really interested in this. And at the time, like, I have a big graphic design background. And she had, like, kind of these, like, homemade-looking posters. And I'm like, well, this is clearly a way that I can be involved in this. Like, so
0: you basically asked her. Yeah, I'm like,
1: help? I'm a graphic designer. I do like websites for like movies and bands. Like I can help you like this, you know. I do social media because back then MySpace was like, you know, the new big right. thing. So like. So we were
0: kind of starving for like some sort of creative outlet at the time. Or? Yes,
1: I think that would be very fair to say. Okay. You know, so basically.
0: Okay. Yeah. So that was. Chandler Cinemas, so that was probably not long after you got into town, maybe, right? Yeah, it's
1: probably like 2006 at some point. Okay, Yeah. yeah.
0: So you started doing design work for her?
1: Yeah, I started doing design work for her. I did like her website. I think I built like a meetup group to help promote her events and ran like an infant Facebook group probably months after that to try, you know, kind of help and promote things because. I kind of have like a knack for it I'm not like I'm not saying I'm a carnival barker but I totally sound <laughs> like one you know and then every once in a while she'd go like to New Zealand or something and right, while right, she was right. gone I would like introduce like some of her screen. kind of took over yeah a little bit not like completely but like I'd help out like I was like one of the cohorts you know
0: so you got involved with the Royale yes or, well that was that was a progression of her work basically yeah
1: I you know I designed like the the name and the identity like that whole place I helped totally design from the ground up and I was, like really invested in it and I developed like a few different like screening series for it like I did that's where cult classics started and that's where like I started doing a video dungeon which is like we would show movies on VHS with another kid who worked there Justin I don't remember what his last name was but uh you know and we'd play these beat-up copies and it was sort of really interactive because at the time before we did the royale you know madcap was kind of like where she like kind of started like getting really into the room Right. And that's sort of—I think that's where I met you. Yes, yes. You know, because at the time, because the I,
0: room screened at the Chandler. Yeah, Chandler. First screen. Yeah, and then mm-hmm.
1: at Madcap too, because they brought out like Tommy, and then you were right. there with Juliet. By the way,
0: folks, um, just so you know, like I actually—I was in a movie called The Room, and that's how I first met Victor. The Room became this huge,
1: like huge, cult huge hit.
0: cult phenomenon, and international, really. So, and that's where I met. Uh, Victor, because you actually showed Tommy Wiseau around. Don, Tommy Wiseau was the director, writer, producer, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, film, yeah. And you showed him around. Y- yeah,
1: yeah I was like, the... yeah, I was his like, uh, handler, and that was <laughs> a very um, unique and weird experience. <laughs> I'm sure I could write a book about it, but Greg probably beat me to do <laughs> yeah, it, clearly. Totally, yeah, totally, But being involved in that fandom, like, really helped me sort of find my legs at that time. The same way, I guess, some people are really involved in like rocky horror fandom that really helps them kind of branch out.
0: But you were doing all these things that were jobs of
1: Like a PA would do. PA for like
0: a for like a um for theater company basically. Yeah,
1: like you know movie theater. Yeah, like I would help Bill Mosley around and like um the different people from Repo, the genetic opera. Like I would you know, so I was sort of like you know, like I was a cohort and all that.
0: So would you say that Cult Classics was kinda like when you first started People got to know you more as kind of this guy? Yeah,
1: because i had been, when the Royale started, I was really pushing to kind of like, well, I've helped you so, like, you know, I was telling Andrea, like, I've helped you so far in building this thing, which, you know, it's like the, the mecca of your right. reaching for it. And like, I have a voice too, and I'd like to start doing these things, you know. And eventually, you know, she she kind of was like, "Yeah, no, go ahead, and, like try it out and see how it goes." And this
0: was when at the Royale.
1: Yes, in okay. 2011. So at that point, okay. I was like pretty heavily involved in the programming of, like I program You were used to doing series. that
0: job at that point, probably.
1: Um, it was to some degree. I was used to I was used to helping her promote her own shows, but this was like the first point where I would actually have to like. You know go out and like really think of what people were looking to watch because it's one thing to like to do your own yeah to show things that like oh i think this is a cool idea but when you're helping your friend and they have a venue and you have to think about sustainability you know because i'd also help volunteer in other things like ignite phoenix and like been involved in those projects and seen like oh it does take a lot of work to make these things sustainable and that to me was like an important thing i've carried through yeah, now. because
0: how long has Cult Classics been around? Nope. It's going
1: to be five years in so, June, and
0: that's become very sustainable. I mean, I remember when you first started it, and people knew about it, but not like to... I mean, now you you're selling out on a fairly regular basis, right? Yeah. Explain the, the, your concept for this movie night.
1: Basically, what Cult Classics is is we take you know older movies like we call you know film favorites and like. They're fairly well well known. Yeah, well known are some things that we think we can make work, you know, and then we sort of build events around them. Uh, A year ago, we did the Last Starfighter, and we partnered up with. There's an arcade out in Mesa called Starfighters Arcade, and I said, "We're going to show this movie. It's kind of right up your alley. I know you guys build cabinets. Can you build us a Last Starfighter cabinet, just like in the movie?" And we built in, I got an elaborate green screen. They built the cabinet. We did like pictures, green screen with fog machines. We had like an elaborate, I do these elaborate pre-shows where I find old clips and kind of repurpose like found footage, sort of like the pre-shows they do before the beginning of movies at like the Alamo Drafthouse. We don't play trailers for random things. It's all themed to the pre-show. And then we raffle off prizes with our sponsor, Z-Records. So it just becomes this kind of big happening. And we do custom posters, yeah, Yeah. custom t shirts. But I like the idea of bundling like artwork and, Mm. you know, a t shirt with something like that to kind of like create like. A collectible atmosphere because I'm a big nerd and I love collectibles. You know, I I still buy physical media because I love elaborate packaging.
0: Do you know what uh, your next movie is? Oh, yeah.
1: By, by this point, uh, the next movie we're going to be doing is June 18th and we're going to be showing Aliens. Okay, cool. Yeah.
0: And then, so you mentioned Jump Cut. Which yes. is another project that you started four or five months ago, right? Yes. Okay.
1: And Jump Cut is basically, we realized even though we do like, sometimes do one or two movies a month at Cult Classics, depending on how our schedule works, between conventions and other things we do to promote it, there's all these movies people ask ask us to do that like, oh, are you gonna play Hackers? Are you gonna play Johnny Demonic? And I'm like, realistically, I'd love to play these movies, but thinking of sustainability and kind of getting into the market here in Phoenix, it's really hard. To our auditorium seats 300 people, and we don't own the venue where we run most of our stuff, Tempe Cinemas. Mm-hmm. So it's we had to find a smaller venue to kind of do these smaller movies. Okay. So we our, our friends uh, open up the barcade in Mesa that has a space that works as a micro cinema. So I'm like, let's try to show movies there, and it, we bundle it together. Like we can show Hackers or Johnny Mock, and we'll do like free arcade games for everyone who shows up you can drink so it's sort of like because people asked us sometimes like oh why can't you do movies like at a smaller venue like film bar and we can't because it's not really cost effective for us at our size but here it's something different they can drink and they can play games and then we do little giveaways and then kind of get a smaller more intimate experience something like cult classics but it's its own flavor
0: it's a little bit more for your eclectic tastes, I guess. Yeah. Th- just sort of... Yeah,
1: it sort of serves, like, the needs of, like, you know, kind of giving us the credibility that we... You, like, I feel is important. Like, we're trying to create a community of people who like eclectic stuff and not just big trouble in Little China every year.
0: Why is that important to you?
1: Um, To me, I would just like to create an atmosphere where some where I struggled to find this kind of stuff when I first moved here. So I'd like to think there's someone like me moving into town that would find out about this and think, this is awesome. There's actually cool stuff going here, and I don't have to like wait a year and a half to find it. Right. You know, Because like we have other projects we do to kind of get the word out about these events, but I'd like to think there's something more to the culture in Phoenix than... Um, foam parties in Scottsdale (laughs) well this
0: is what I love about you because you take rather than waiting around for something to come out come down the pipe something cool or something like that you just said well let me see if I can bring that here myself you know
1: yeah and I think that's actually one of the really awesome things about Phoenix that I kind of think I wish more people would take advantage of like it's kind of like a tabula rasa. There's, it's, it's a growing city, but there's so many holes where you could fill in culture.
0: I want to ask you, compare Phoenix 2005 to today, because even though a decade has passed, you, you still can have that opportunity to fill those holes and contribute compared to living in L.A. where it's all competition and it's like it, you can't get your foot in the door type thing.
1: Yeah, I think I think what it is is even though like so much time has passed, um, the outlets for getting the word out about what your projects are have gone like more accessible. I feel, you know, and, talking about social media. Yeah, social media I think makes it easier to get your word out about your events, and I feel like there's so many like different events so like maybe if I'd heard about them ten years ago or if something around had been something like them had been around, maybe I would have been into that instead. I remember very early on when I moved out here I got really into like the roller derby scene because I had friends who were into like roller derby it was pretty popular yeah it was really popular at the time but then a lot of those people moved on they do things like um like the cupcake events like those goth nights huh. and then there's those... they
0: all broke their legs yeah, and like, yeah exactly
1: but there's all these different kind of things that have sprung up from them and like even now I'm here in Central Phoenix all the time like Rips has all these right. cool events going on and like I hear about these things and I'm like well see I see these people who are like promoting things now and getting their feet wet and i think it's cool because you don't have to start off having a ton of capital just to you know hear about these events because i feel like there is a certain degree of pay for play in in, uh you know the standard methods of getting the word outs about things out here and that's kind of hard when you're trying to create culture from the ground up You know, and that's, it's true of any alternative media because, you know, you know straightforward from, yeah, as journalism has changed, you okay. know, a, a lot of these outlets are going to cover what pays for hits and all that. Right,
0: that's, yeah. As far as film goes, mm-hmm. um, anything else, projects that you're working on that may not be ready f- for implementation but that you thought of that you want might want to do?
1: Yeah, I have like two I'm working on now. There's one that I'm trying to get launched in phoenix proper hopefully by like fall or like early next year we found a venue for it and it's just like something like different than cult classics is but something in that some the same alternative feel to it because at the same time i like being able to do stuff on the east side of the valley oh, okay And but I know people always tell us, oh, I wish you could do stuff in Phoenix or we found there's a venue out on the west side that we'd like to do things at. you know, but at the same time, I don't want to just keep repeating what we're doing. It's just kind of finding a way to to reach out to these people with different unique events so that our audience can kind of cycle through because I don't think we have like one audience for cult classics. We play a variety of things. There's people who are always going to come to the horror movies. There's people who only come to, like, the 80s stuff. And there's people who only come to kind of, like, the really obscure things. And the thing is, I want to serve all those audiences by helping, mm-hmm. you know...
0: That's very much a sign of the times, though, really. Yeah. Everything is niche, you know? like Yeah. Everybody has their own personality and own personal uh, tastes.
1: Yeah, and then we have different people and who volunteer and are involved in in the entity that is cult classics Mm -hmm. and i want them to have a voice too so they can feel like they're an important part of what's going on because you know when i was sort of coming up i helped other people and that helped me sort of find the voice of what i wanted to do so in a way it's like if if i have you know friends or volunteers or staff people who are going to be like i got this idea we can try it out on one of these like spin-offs or New things we're working on, and sort of give them a voice too, because that's something that I would have liked to have more, you know, like voice in things.
0: I feel like community is—it's getting better, but I feel like a key to a to a good society and personal happiness involves community on some level. Oh yeah, you know, and the film—the film community is something that has grown here, and so how do you feel about the importance of the film community?
1: Um, I. Th- to me, the, the idea of a film community is really paramount because, uh, I mean, I'll tie it back to this. Like, when I started doing, uh, going to the screenings of The Room out here, for those who don't know, The Room fandom was very much like, the movie would play and people would sort of do call-outs, sort of like Rocky right. Horror. And it people would kind of, like, bounce off each other, and then you'd meet them. i have met a lot of the people who did these things, and afterwards, like, oh, that was a really funny thing you said. And we'd find out we'd have similar taste in movies, and that's kind of, like, how friendships were found. Um, and then in going to other different kinds of movies in the valley, I sort of built, like, a circle of friends, and it's a communal thing. Going to a movie is a communal event where you're going to meet people who are like-minded, and it's not like meeting someone... In a Facebook group, or on a Facebook page, or in a message board, it's, you know, this is somebody who might live near you, you go over to their house, and you like, oh my god, I've never heard of that movie, like, there's this movie I've never heard of, you know, like, Meet the Feebles, what is that, you know, different things, and like my my friend Adam, who I met from, uh, he came to some of my screenings, and now he's like one, you know, one of the main uh, staff people, you know, within cult classics. He built like a movie screen in his backyard, anchored, and and we once a month we sh- we play movies out there like a drive-in, hmm. and it's huge. And his collection dwarfs mine. And I'm like, if it hadn't been for these events I'm doing, I would have never really met him. Right. You know, and to me, I want to give the people who come to my events, that same kind of chance to build a community. And I've seen it happen. I see them at conventions. We become friends. And to me, when you build community, you're building things that support the local events and infrastructure and bring money into the city, into our local events and kind of create that chain of a sense of like i'm a phoenician i'm a local person you know i'm wearing a cult shirt i'm wearing like a film bar shirt i'm wearing this because i'm really into trying to support what we're doing here whether it's phoenix film festival whether it's the scottsdale film festival i'm in favor of all of all these things doing well because it helps everyone
0: so then how did uh, phoenix 2005 look compared to Phoenix 2016. I in think that, in, that, in those terms.
1: I think it's much more vibrant. I mean, yeah. definitely. Um, back then, I think it was just, you know, it seemed to me back then it was like there were Harkins theaters and like maybe I, I went to Camelview back in 2006 and it was like the theater for old people, <laughs> you know? Um, and now there, I remember going there like a few years later to see like the exit through the gift shop in 2010, the Banksy documentary and it being filled with people who I knew from events I had helped promote mm-hmm. at that point. And then, you know, be, right when it closed, I went to the very last screening there, and half the people there were people who went to my show. Wow. I was wearing a cult classics hoodie, and right when I was walking in my seat in the front row, people were like, cult classics, woo, you know? So, I'd so like- that was a
0: sure, it had been like a moment for you to see how you'd come, but also just the valley had come changed, I guess.
1: Yeah, because at that point, you realize at that point, I'd helped at some point get these people out into theaters and seeing different things that they might not have seen otherwise, you know, away from just like the passive Netflix or Hulu experience. There's nothing wrong with that, but to me I'd much rather see like a movie on a big screen full of people who right. love it or who were showing it to their friends for the first time than just something that's on while I'm you know, making dinner or playing a video right, game right. on my phone.
0: Communal experience all the way, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know,
1: and to, like I said, that that's what's behind everything I do, is trying to, like, create that for people. You know, whether it's this or whether it's, like, the, thing, the Geekly Phoenix project I've been working on for yeah, the last tell, couple tell of years.
0: So, tell the folks about that. So, please.
1: basically, we have a group on uh, Facebook. It's called Geekly Phoenix, and you can find it just by typing those two words out completely and it's a group where people who create events, promote events locally can go there, post about them and find like-minded people. It's I post about my film events there, I post about in- things I find that I think are interesting to kind of get the word out about them. And it it it, it felt to me that it was something that was sort of becoming needed in the last couple of years because like I you know little things were, we're, we're, happening that we're showing me that like getting the word out about events is becoming harder and harder. I would go on Yelp and it used to be Yelp events it was people... because
0: it's so saturated. Do you think? Yeah.
1: I, I think yeah. what it is is it's saturated Definitely. and then, um, as, as corporations try to reach out more to getting people to, you know, sample their products or, um, take more control of bigger media channels it becomes harder to get the word out about things without paying for it, you mm-hmm. know, and a lot of people don't have the capital to pay like, you know, $200 to promote your event on, you know, Facebook or something like that just to have it cut through and reach more than 50 people, Right. you know, and but
0: you don't know if it's going to make a difference anyway.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So basically. Uh, Facebook events, I feel, are still viable, but this group, it's we've built it up over a couple of years, has, like, 3,000 members, that's... and people post... It's substantial, and people okay. post there, and you can find out about things, whether it's, like, Doctor Who Nights at, like, Gotham City Comics in Mesa, or, like, you know, Smiths versus the Cure Obscura, like, Rips yeah, yeah. or something, because I, you know... Or Neil deGrasse Tyson at yeah. Comerica. I mean, you know, I think that's cool.
0: I'm a member of that, too, and everybody... It's just it runs the gamut,
1: yeah. If you like, you know. Yeah,
0: you're an artist. You you're going to be at Comic Con in yes another week or so. What do you do at Comic Con usually?
1: Um, at Comic Con, what we usually do is uh, we promote our f- upcoming film events for the year or for the the summer usually. Um, so we'll be promoting like Alien our Alien screening there. We'll be promoting the next jump cut there. Um, we usually have some of our cult branded t-shirts and a lot of the event posters we do there and more often than not we're raffling off like you know movie tickets or things uh that we're partnering with other people to do like we just were at mad monster party this past weekend and we were raffling off tickets to see john carpenter perform his scores at the mesa arts center at the end of june wow you know, so that's one of the things I like to do, too, is partner up with other people who are doing cool stuff that's not exactly the same, but maybe fits the same audience. So we've partnered up with, like, Stateside and Lucky Man before for things that kind of...
0: These are big These are big local partnerships. Um, where does your ability to, to um, publicize things come from?
1: Um, I, I think part of it was, like, when I was a kid, I was really into the whole zine thing and just kind of, you know, I grew up really sheltered and kind of... Even though I was, like, sort of nerdy, I kind of had a talent for wanting to be involved in things. And even though, like, you know, it was hard to find, like, a, a scene to fit in, I would try my hardest to kind of make my, you know, earn, earn my points when I was there. Like, I, I'll show you what I can do, you know. And that's, I think that's always my attitude towards things. Like, you know, like, you think I can't do it, let me show you. You know, and I, I feel, like, very confident In the type of connections we've made as a community, that I like to reach out to these people and say, "Look, I've helped these people. I've helped people find this connection through this fringe movie culture. This kind of fits in with that. Let's do something together that might be crazy or cool. You know."
0: I mean, you had mentioned. Kind of bringing the cult classic thing to Central Phoenix, right? That's kind of what you were talking about.
1: Yeah, like I'd like to do something out here and, you know, maybe at like a Phoenix Center for the Arts or okay, something yeah. like that. I think we're trying to make something happen. I can't specifically mention it yet just because we haven't done like an official cross the Eyes dot the T's sure. thing. But something cool at a different venue in Tempe. Okay. And that'll, you know, the word will be out about Keep that probably right. around Comic-Con. Oh, yeah. okay. So we're coming up. We're yeah. coming
0: up. Um one of the things that's important for me at this podcast is to tell share with people that we are not this um right wing uh racist Joe Arpaio type community here. Oh yeah. You know? And so I guess I guess what I would ask you is what would you just say to people that might think that?
1: I think just because you hear something nationally doesn't really represent the core of the people living there. I mean, if I, if I mentioned, you know, Phoenix to like someone, my dad's age, I suppose I could say, they would say, Oh, Phoenix, you know, they have Haboobs and a dry heat and that's where Joe Arpaio lives. Right. But if I was talking to somebody and say, why should I check? I'm thinking of moving out to Phoenix. What should I do there? I would say you should come to uh, first Friday. It's the biggest first Friday in the country. You'll see lots of cool, amazing artwork you know, Phoenix Comic Con is one of the biggest like cons in the country and you'll see it take over an entire city to a degree where it's sort of scary. You can find And you
0: can still get in as opposed to San Diego. Yeah,
1: exactly. You know, it's an ocean of people there. Here it's somewhat more manageable. And, you know, there's lots of alternative film spaces out here that, you know, even though, you know, the camel view down in Scottsdale has become really fancy and foo foo, you're still getting an amazing degree of diverse films that you're really not going to see anywhere else but la and new york and a lot of people don't realize that even like and it's spread out more just the Harkin shea 14 and valley art oh, yeah. valley art plays anime almost every single week and they've been playing all the miyazaki movies and half most people don't even realize that you know yep. and it's just that's what i would say it's just like poke your head and you'll see that there's more to this place than like the Steven Seagal Pio comedy <laughs> hour.
0: <laughs> and it was the same way 10 years ago, but it was not as they didn't have, I mean, you just had to look a little harder. I feel yeah,
1: like, you know, exactly. And I'd like to think that maybe I help. I was one of the people that got that shovel and helped dig a little, you know, make that, make that a slightly clearer path.
0: Definitely. Are you going anywhere? Are you here in Phoenix?
1: No, I'm still here in Phoenix. And
0: what I mean is you're you you've already laid down roots, but this is your home, I guess.
1: I think, yeah, for the immediate, you know, okay. I'm not, I, I'm not, uh, you know, w- you know, waiting for the bus ticket to, to LA, sure. you know, I'm not think...
0: tying yourself down for anything else. No, no, no. no. Way, I
1: think sure. there's a lot of cool stuff coming that I'd like to help with in other ways too. I mean, the Alamo draft house is coming yeah. to Phoenix. I'd like to, have you
0: talked to them by the way?
1: Yeah, I've, I've been talking to them and seeing if we can make something happen there. Okay. And I, I feel like it looks good. Cause I think that would be like a national, natural progression. Holy. Totally. You and know. that's
0: Chandler, right?
1: Yeah. Isn't it? You know, and I'm and I feel like they're looking to expand throughout the valley, you know. Yeah. They're here for the long haul, and, you know. If I can Seems if like I can it. help there, I feel like that's a good legacy, you know. Totally. Mhm.
0: What would you like Phoenix to be in like 10 years? Or how do you see it?
1: Um, I would like there to be more population density so that it's a lot more walkable and there's a lot more interesting things throughout the city besides just condos. <laughs> I'd like there to be multiple art districts besides Roosevelt. I'd like Grand Avenue to really develop into a really cool alternative arts district. I'd like Tempe to kind of wake up and realize that they're driving out the local art element and realize there's more to being a college town than having an urban outfit or strip mall on mill um i'd like chandler and gilbert to kind of realize they they have a position to create arts districts too i think mesa will have a much bigger arts presence in 10 years than it does now that hopefully will wake people up that there's a lot more going on there than just mormon temples you know and I'd like, you know, I'd like it a lot to be a lot more like Tucson. Like, maybe maybe it'll, like, converge and be, like, a a, a blend of, like, L.A. today and Tucson now
0: hmm. in 10 years. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Huh. Well, um, and all of this very, very within reach, I would say. None of those things that you just said are completely, like how to left field. These are things that are very possible in 10 years.
1: I, I think I mean, they're all, starting already really. Yeah. I, none of these are pipe dreams. I right. feel like, you know, I feel the current leadership here needs to have a little more vision in realizing you can't just condo build forever. There has to be things to attract people here. The fact that ASU is moving so much of its education uh, towards downtown is only going to make downtown more vibrant. So you need to have things there that are cultural to kind of feed that population. You know, and Tempe I think is going to have to compete with that more. Right. Not just football, not just phone right. parties, not just scrillix. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we see. Uh, I I I predict such a, a similar thing too. So. Um, Victor, really good having you um, on the show.
1: Oh, yeah. It was a lot of fun. Good luck with Jump
0: Cut. um, And we'll talk in the future, I'm sure.
1: Oh, yeah. And if you guys want to find out about any of the stuff, feel free to find us at cultclassicsaz.com. And we're cultclassicsaz on everything else. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, cultclassicsaz.
0: Now, for a little bit of pop culture fun. Well, more specifically, Simpsons fun. You may have heard about a local band called Oakley Dokley. In just a few weeks last year, the band amassed nearly 33,000 followers on Facebook, had been streamed thousands of times on Bandcamp, and accumulated hundreds of thousands of listens on YouTube. Even the names of the band members are Flanders themed. The members of the five piece go by Head Ned, Bled Ned, Red Ned, Thread Ned, Instead, Ned. Right now we've got Head Ned joining us. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, so, uh, tell me a little bit about your band went seriously viral last year. Um, mm-hmm. So, first off, I guess, let everybody know where the band comes from. Like, how do you come up with the name, who are your band members, that sort of thing.
2: Well, essentially, Oakley Doakley, we are the, as we call ourselves, the world's only nettle band. Um... The idea is we each have a Ned persona, we each dress like Ned, um, and the Oakley Doakley, we highlight the kill in both of those words, and we just, we have a very, you know, friendly look, but our music is as basically heavy and growly and brutal as we can get it, so...
0: Ned Flanders, you probably have to be on under a rock for the last twenty twenty five years to not know who <laughs> Ned Flanders is, but explain who he is
2: well Ned Flanders is a character on the simpsons he is the the friendly neighbor of The Simpsons, and uh you know kind of one of
0: overly uh, friendly yeah. yes overly
2: oh, yeah. friendly, I would say one of pop culture's most <laughs> notably friendly characters, just um very patient very religious Mm. um the exact
0: opposite of your sound
2: exactly like very very it's a it is a juxtaposition to put that character against like death metal yes and so that idea was very funny to us and that's why when we started coming up with this idea of okaly-dokaly and coming out on the stage dressed like ned flanders and screaming death metal to just throw everybody off that was that was hilarious and, and to be
0: dressed up like Ned too yeah
2: to be dressed like him we've got a pink flying V we've got uh, a couple things on our stage that all note towards the Simpsons and so this idea was hilarious and when we looked at how we would do it like what we needed to do all of it like made sense there wasn't anything that like stopped us from doing it. And so, thus, we, we went through with it, and Oakley Dokley so was So it was born. all
0: about, maybe, just, like, it was all about kind of just the naming of it. More so than, try, I mean, and the theme, too, but I guess what I point is, like, you guys aren't necessarily, like, singing about what Ned Flanders might talk about, or are you?
2: All of our songs are direct Ned Flanders quotes okay. as well. Some of them are kind of taken... So you gotta just,
0: like, really listen really hard through the screaming to figure it out, right? Yeah,
2: you okay. can. And, I mean, a lot of it is it is, it's repeated stuff, and it's... Um, very like for recog- example what would be it a- like one of our songs we have a song called nothing at all and the whole song the only lyric that I use is it feels like I'm wearing nothing at all but the thing is if you take really dark heavy music and scream nothing at all uh, it uh, it sounds like a metal song it sounds like any other metal song would but if you take a step back and look at the band and look at the lyrics and we're upfront about it it's all almost all of it is just Direct quotes from Flanders.
0: And were you guys uh, just starting out as a band? I mean, you, everybody has their experience as mm-hmm. musicians, right? Yeah. So were you guys just starting out, or was this?
2: We had all played in like local bands for a while, just around town. You know, just kind of the standard stuff. Not a lot of people coming to the shows and we were getting a little bit jaded from that and i think that kind of pushed this project is like we want to do something that if, if 10 people are going to be at a show we wanted them to go like what is going on there like we really wanted to do something different yeah, yeah. do something different to kind of shake it up so we had played in bands before and so i i wanted to instead of focusing on trying to find like musicians who were, like a newer like way into this i just grabbed some friends of mine who i knew played instruments and i was like look you i know that you play guitar let's let's do this and like our synth player i was like synth and a metal band that mm, i don't know if that'll work but yeah let's do it and it ends up it ended up becoming like a really really important part of our sound so it's funny how that all came together
0: so you recorded some songs Mm -hmm. and we're planning on booking a show somewhere i guess Mm -hmm. so what happened when you actually put your music out there
2: we uh we did we recorded our music we uh did uh just a couple demos at our house. We did four songs. Uh, we booked our show at the Trunk Space. We had the show booked and everything. And then uh, I loaded the stuff online and went to bed with like 100 likes on the page. I woke up in the morning and I had messages from people who I'd never seen. I think we are at like a couple thousand. And so throughout the entire day, my phone was going off. I had like emails coming in. I had like...
0: Did it freak you out? Uh, I yes. mean, obviously it's a good thing, but like... That can be really jarring in a way, you know.
2: Yeah, it was it was weird. I was at work, and you're not supposed to be, you know, on your phone at work. So my phone's just sitting there on my desk, it's rattling off the, you know, rattling off the desk, and uh, I'm getting like people are emailing me like articles from uh, like local, like the New Times, like to... stuff they had
0: already published. Yeah, and they hadn't even talked to you. Yeah, type
2: thing. and we. I, I did miss an important part. I did an interview with an Australian magazine called Rip It Up. So, so yeah. So, I
0: that was the first one.
2: Yeah, I published the stuff online. We were getting quite a few likes, and and I did that interview that that next day, that night, and after that interview hit, they were pulling some quotes from it. I was just you know trying to be funny. I had some Simpsons puns in there. He asked like, "Where do you fit within the simp scene?" And I said something along the lines of like, "We're not as fast as Bart Core." Uh, A little cleaner than crusty punk, like throwing that stuff out there, and that interview hit, and a bunch of media organizations just started pulling from that, and articles showed up in the BBC, Maxim, Billboard, CNN, like everything that you can think of, and so it just all of a sudden was everywhere, and I'd say within about like two or three days after that, we had about twenty thousand likes on our Facebook page. About a week after that, When was had... that? Because
0: the first show was actually in September, so when yes. was that about...
2: This was mid-August, I think, August.
0: Okay. So you still had a good two weeks before your show Yes. Coming up, at least. And yeah. Before anybody had heard you live together. Yes. Oakley Doakley.
2: Before we'd ever even played a show live. We hadn't...
0: Were you freaking out a little bit? Like, wh- what, are you, what are you thinking when, like, it, you know? It
2: was honestly just... It was too Fast. much to really... Like consider everything. Like our our main focus was we we booked our first show before we put our stuff online, and it was at the Trunk Space, mm-hmm. which uh, small yeah, pretty right. small little place. I mean, at, we're
0: talking I think
2: max fifteen
0: by fifteen, maybe a little bit, but not, this is like like the size of your living room almost.
2: Yeah, I think the yeah. max capacity on Trunk Space is technically around eighty or so. Yeah. Um, and so we had, of course, done a little Facebook event, and that was where we we're like, here's where our first show is. And uh, Were you
0: worried that it would be like you'd need to go someplace else, maybe?
2: Yes. Uh, we had considered that. We were, one of the main things we talked about is maybe doing a double of shows, like doing it like one early yeah. and one late so we could keep it at that location. But with only two weeks notice, it's hard to find a different venue to set that up, and uh, I, I really loved the trunk space and so it was an opportunity to, if anything, bring a whole bunch of people like in God rest its soul, right? In, yeah, yeah, in their doors, unfortunately. did close yeah. just a few weeks ago. But yeah, it was an opportunity for us to bring a lot of people to the trunk space and so we just decided, okay, we'll play the show there. However many people get there, that's what we'll do. And we had already set up a second show so if people missed that one, we had you know, a fallback opportunity. And how,
0: was the sh- how were the shows? The
2: The Good. first show at the Trunk Space uh, turned out great. Um, I think we ended up having around 170 people there. We were a little over capacity, but it was crammed in there, and um, we had to. You had
0: a full on kind of event you did to sort of.
2: Yeah, we did uh, this, uh, this group, Flim Springfield. They do Simpsons trivias. They set up like a whole. Springfield Carnival, right? And actually, in the backyard.
0: JRC, who uh, ran the ran the trunk space, that mm-hmm. was, that was his stuff. That was his.
2: Thing. Yeah, he also did that. So he was yeah. he was really excited to yeah. set that up. Yeah. We they said we're gonna do a carnival, uh, a Simpsons themed carnival in the backyard. Um, are you cool with that? And I was like, yes, that sounds great. Go for it. That was all I heard about it until I showed up there and the carnival was all set up and it was great. Um, and. The show was crazy. We were rushing to write songs as well.
0: You recorded how many songs?
2: We had four songs recorded, and I think at the time we had like eight in the works. So we ended up like writing two or three more just to have like a full headliner set. And so these, you know, thousands of people that wanted to go to this show, however many could get in, we could at least give them a full show. So we were working on songs. We were trying to figure out what to do with the venue or... Trying to answer the hundreds of emails that were coming in. We Any had,
0: weird sort of uh, requests?
2: Yeah, we did get a couple uh I mean it was it was tough to go through all of it. We had some some great, really, really great hate mail, which is my favorite. It's my favorite thing because uh, we call them homers. anybody who like sends us like this hate mail like there were people who were truly angry at what we did. And so they sent us this, these terrible, terrible things, which I didn't read a lot of it. I didn't really at the time, too. I don't know. People just hate Ned Flanders, apparently. And it's <laughs> hilarious to me that... that
0: this is genuine yeah, hate.
2: From yeah. People were, were... The nicest
0: guy in the world, huh?
2: So against it. It was great because we called him Homers, and you just read the stuff, and it does... It sounds like Homer Simpson is just, like, tearing into us. And that was... It was funny to us. We, we didn't care we were doing this for fun. Um, So we got that, we got a couple strange requests, and uh, with how international it went, there was a lot of stuff that came in in, like, somewhat broken English that was kind of difficult to comprehend, and a couple... there's
0: articles that you can't read, because they're, you know, Mm -hmm. not in English. I mean, you could figure it out, but, like...
2: Yeah, if we... (laughs) That was always funny. I I did a couple interviews for some international, like, uh, there was a French magazine, there was uh, Vice in Spain, I did an interview for them and so I sent they sent me some questions I sent them the answers I'd see the article posted and then I would take and put it into Google Translate Mm. and have it come back and so the translation from like my English interview they would translate it to Spanish and then it would come back into English was actually pretty funny because it would totally obscure the answers lost
0: in translation right yeah exactly were you hardcore Simpsons fans, or was this kind of like a thing, like... Yes. Because okay. uh, I, one of my best friends is a huge, like, he knows everything. He puts his bet kid children to bed. Mm-hmm. That's the last show they watched, <laughs> and then they go to bed, you know? So, yeah. you guys are pretty big fans?
2: Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I grew up with the show. Yeah. Um, It started a year before I was born, and so, of course, oh, I was wow. always to catch up on seasons and everything, mm-hmm. and... Uh, our guitarist was a big Simpsons fan, like all of us. Like You
0: literally have never lived without the Simpsons.
2: Yeah, pretty much. So it's been around my whole life, and, and it's it was just a staple in American culture. Um, and so, yeah, we. I was always big fans of that. Anything Matt Groening did, I was way into it. Uh, Futurama is one of my favorite shows as well. Um, and so, yeah, that was one of the reasons that we looked at, like, well, Simpsons are great, and to do a Simpsons-themed thing, that would be really fun.
0: It totally fits into who you are on some level, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you had the show at the Trunk Space on September 5th, right, of last year, mm-hmm. and you've since had 13, 13 shows. Uh mm-hmm. Or 13 total, I guess. Since then,
2: 13 total. Um, yeah.
0: How have those have you played around town? Or is it just trunk space? Or
2: we did. Uh, we played a couple shows around town. Um, we did a couple shows over in California. Cool. Played like uh, Orange County. How did that in work out? You San you... Diego. It was. It was really fun. Cool. Like we went over. We had maybe about a hundred or so people at each show, and um, it was neat for us to have the experience to like just go from we just started this band to all of a sudden we're playing out of town shows and people are showing up and people will like I, I i love how our fans come up and they're so into the simpsons and we are too, and it's great because they've got like Simpsons tattoos and old like Simpsons t-shirts and Futurama stuff and all this cool That's stuff cool. that they're like, that we meet them, they're way into the Simpsons, we're way into the Simpsons, it's just great to like talk to those people and kind of nerd out totally, over yeah. this thing, and they're all excited <laughs> about it because we're up there on the stage thrashing around as Ned Flanders, and it, it, the, all of our shows have been great.
0: Cool. And you... uh you're recording right now, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're in the midst of our first record. Um, we got one more day left of recording, and then it's done and off to mixing and mastering and should be out.
0: And you're self-publishing this in essence, in essence right?
2: Yeah, at the moment. Uh, we don't have a record label or anything. We're doing it totally independent. Cool. Um, and yeah, and when do you it,
0: think that'll be ready for uh, consumption?
2: should be ready... I'm hoping by about fall of this year. Fall
0: of this year, and at that point, you were gonna start doing shows. Again? Yeah, we'll start
2: okay. doing shows. We're looking at uh, touring options around that. Um, we'll also be working on multiple music videos for it, um, and then all the fun stuff that goes along with releasing a record. It'll be digitally everywhere. We're we'll, um, working on album art and everything right now too. So it's all just—it's all in the works.
0: So look for Oakley Dokley in the fall. One last question, um, secret identity of all the (laughs) the band members. Mm -hmm. So why, why the, I mean, I get the, I get the curiosity factor and the mystery, but is there something else there?
2: Uh, really there's also the legality of it. Like so far, nobody from Fox's legal department has reached out to us and we're not entirely sure that that is completely off the books yet. So If they wanted to take out a lawsuit against us, like I'm sure that they could and they'd find out who we are and everything, but just adding that, you know, one extra step of trying to figure out who we are is kind of worth it. And, um, you know, that factor and also just keeping it like uh, keeping the band as kind of separate from our personal lives because essentially the band are characters that we control and that we are and get to be. But I honestly just can't wear the green sweater 24/7. It's especially not in the state.
0: <laughs> well, cool. We'll be looking for you um, near the end of this year. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. Um, If you want to reach us, we can be found at onthegridphx.com or you can email us at podcast at onthegridphx.com. On the Grid is produced by Chris Ayers. Intro music was performed by local band Factories. They can be reached at factoriesmusic.com. And by the way, sticking with our theme of local... We feature a different local band at the end of every show. And, of course, that is Oakley Doakley. We don't have a date on the next performance, uh, but you heard Head... You heard Head... Head Ned? <laughs> you heard Ned Head. But <laughs> you heard Head Ned tell us to expect them to be out in the fall. And Oakley Doakley can be found at OakleyDoakley.com. Once again, thank you so very much for joining us on our fifth episode of On The Grid. Later, guys. They warned me. They warned me.